Okay, I'm Chris Avina with American Outdoor News, and today we have uh, Mark Oliver, the Director of Public Affairs at the National Shooting Sports Foundation. Mark, thanks for taking the time to speak to us. Chris, I appreciate you giving us the opportunity, and it really is a unique opportunity to be able to uh, to speak to some of the folks who are tuning in and, and listen to what's, what's going on in the hunting and, and gun world. Well, there, there certainly is a lot to discuss, uh, but first, can you tell people that aren't familiar with the uh, National Shooting Sports Foundation. Uh, I've been a member of the NSSF forever. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the organization? Yeah, what you do? yeah. so the, yeah, the National Shooting Sports Foundation is the Firearms Industry Trade Association. So we're the organization that takes care of uh, your firearm manufacturers, distributors, your retailers, your ranges, some endemic media to make sure that, that those businesses are able to stay in business. We're a trade association like Many other trade associations just happens to be our product is firearms and ammunition. So we want to make sure that those those people who are making the guns and, and distributing and selling those guns are able to do that within the laws and the regulations that are already in place and be able to do that safely. So kind of the easy way to describe it for a lot of people who might not be familiar with it is to think of it as the gun counter is kind of the dividing line. And, and we at NSSF are doing everything we can to make sure that, that gun can get to the counter. So it's it's everything from making sure that the, the manufacturers are able to buy the bar stock to make the barrels, mm -hmm. uh, to you know uh, to machine out the, the receivers, to be able to get that to, to product to the market and be able to sell it to you uh, in accordance with all the laws and regulations. And then kind of once it crosses that gun counter, that's where a lot of your Second Amendment organizations uh, take over and, and advocate for your rights. We certainly you know want to make sure we take care of the customers and, and ensure that they can you know, go shoot and go hunt. And, uh, but really that's, uh, we're, we're kind of in it to make sure we're protecting the industry, the interests of the industry. Uh, and a lot of the uh, amendment organizations are out there protecting your rights as an individual gun owner. Protecting our rights is protecting the whole industry. Yeah. Now today, uh, we obviously have a lot to discuss. Um, today, President Biden came out with his, um, uh, I, I guess you would, uh, say it's his National Firearms Act or? Uh... Yeah, he, he introduced a, a series of executive actions that, uh, that he wants the, the Department of Justice to take and, and several other agencies to take, but primarily the Department of Justice to, uh, to enact his gun control agenda. And it's, um, it, it has some pretty far reaching effects and it's already caused uh, some uh, members of Congress, some senators to, to stand up and say, doesn't sound right, and we're going to make sure that we use our authority to be the uh, to be the check on the executive branch, just as Congress is intended to be, uh, to make sure that there's not overreach and, and your gun rights aren't being taken from you without uh, due course of law. Now, there, there's a couple of important points here um, that uh, people I know are not aware of. There's a big difference between a president taking an executive order and an executive action. The executive order, uh, he's basically saying, okay, this is what we're doing. Executive action is basically like a laundry list, list of things he would like to accomplish that he would have to obviously go through Senate, correct? Well, it, it, the executive orders have to have a grounding in law, in, in the executive actions have to as well. So he can't just uh, willy-nilly create law out of thin air. That's, that's the responsibility of the legislative branch, of the Congress. They have to do that. Yes. Uh, only sign or deny. He can execute those orders or, to, or 
or refuse to execute those orders. That's the executive branch. But the, the executive orders have to have a grounding in the law. So you can define a law a little bit more narrowly, or you can, you can make sure that, that uh, laws that are on the books are being administered the way they should be. The executive actions, you're right, they, they push the, the federal uh, agencies to uh, pursue an action that he wants to see accomplished. So in this case, uh, today he talked about the Department of Justice uh, looking to promulgate um, proposed rules that would severely limit the ability of what he calls ghost guns, home-built firearms, and also uh, to curtail the ability uh, for people to possess arm-brace-equipped AR pistols. So those are those are things that are he's pushing executive actions on. And again, it'll be something he's directing the Department of Justice through through uh, uh, Attorney General Merrick to uh, undertake these actions and, and to put forth. And of course, that'll have to go through the rulemaking process. But again, I think there's already members of Congress who are standing up and saying, we, we need to take a closer look at this to make sure that you actually have the grounding in law that, that you, uh, uh, you claim to have to make sure that you can go forward on this. Now, to, for people that don't know, the way he's describing these ghost guns, um, yeah, you could buy a kit through the mail. And, you know, they'll send you a complete upper, they'll send you the parts to a gun. But the mechanism that actually makes it fire, uh, the lower, uh, has to go through an FFL, it has to be registered, you have to go through a background check. You, you don't just buy it, put it together, and you got a gun, right? Well, it, the parts that they sell, these these unfinished receiver, receivers are 80% lowers that you can buy. Uh, and some, some states regulate them more strictly than others. Um, they uh, they come unfinished and they take actually quite a bit of work. Now, the president says that you can do these things in about 30 minutes with something as simple as a Dremel. Uh, I, I would argue that, you know, while some of the, the jigs and the kits that come uh, make it a, little, a whole lot easier than it was, uh, you know, several years ago, uh, it still takes a bit of work. It takes a bit of time. And again, for the most part, we're talking about people who do this are hobbyists. They're, they're people who are gun enthusiasts like you and I who yeah. may have a passion for it and, and really want to take on the challenge of being able to build their own firearm. But I think it's important, Chris, that we talk about is that this has always been legal in America. You have always had the ability to create and build a firearm in your home for your personal use. That's never been illegal. Even before we had a country, that was a possibility. Yep. So what he's talking about now is eliminating that and basically turning the, the Second Amendment from a right as a law-abiding citizen to a government privilege that they're going to give you approval. That becomes very disturbing because in the same speeches he gave today talking about this, he also talked about his his long-held desire to come after the firearm industry and to, and to destroy it by repealing the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act. So let's just say, for, for instance, he's able to do that. What if he's able to drive every manufacturer out of business? Well, now, if you can't create a firearm in your home, you have just neutered the Second Amendment. You have made it impossible for the citizens of the United States to exercise their God-given rights. So it becomes very concerning that he would seek to eliminate the ability for people to build a firearm in their home to be able to defend themselves and, and at the same time eliminate the industry that provides you the means to exercise your Second Amendment rights. So something I think that everyone needs to be cautious and careful of. Now, he also covered um, the um, red flag laws. The red flag yeah. laws, um, they were extremely suggest. Uh, 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 suggestive and you, I mean I can say you know what Mark I don't like the way you're acting uh, 
I'm, you know, I'm going to call the police to have them come to your house and check you out, take your guns away. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we've had, as the industry, we've had concerns about the way some of these red flag laws are, are being drafted. Um, anytime that these laws are going to be drafted, we need to make sure that there are serious protections that are built into that. Uh, we're talking about depriving somebody of their rights. Mm-hmm. So it, think about it this way. If you get arrested on a Friday night, you're probably going to be in front of a judge. If you get arrested for a DUI Friday night, you're going to be in front of a judge probably by Monday morning because they're depriving you of your freedom to be able to move about the country freely. They're putting you in a jail cell. So they have to put you in front of a judge to make sure the charges that, that, are, that are being put against you are, are lawful and there's enough evidence to be able to pursue that. Again, we're talking about depriving somebody of their Second Amendment rights mm-hmm. They're to protect themselves. So we need to make sure there's enough protections against unlawful search and seizure, against redress of evidence uh, that may be presented against you. And we have some serious, very serious concerns about ex parte orders, what you were kind of talking about, where somebody who is unassociated with me could call up and say, we just don't like the way Mark is talking these days and we think he's dangerous. So we want, you know, the sheriff to show up at his doorstep, steal steal his gun or take his guns, uh, seize them because we think he's a threat to himself and others. Uh, without his uh, ability to be able to, to address a judge beforehand. So if my firearm should be seized, I should be able to uh, address any evidence that's being put in front of me, be able to talk to a judge and make sure that I have the opportunity to refute that evidence before that kind of order is put against me and, and my firearms are seized with my, without my ability to, to you know redress these things. So we have some concerns. We don't have an, a problem as an industry with the order itself, but if those aren't, aren't very carefully tailored, if they're not very carefully written and they're not built-in protections to be able to allow somebody who may be subject to one of these orders to be able to see the evidence or refute the evidence, then there's serious deprivation of, of fundamental constitutional rights. And that needs to be, uh, that needs to be ensured that we, we take care of that. We, we protect those. Well, you know, we know there's uh, a lot of, um, a lot of bills in Congress. They just keep, throwing it against the wall to see what's going to stick. Yeah. They came out with the HR-127, which was very radical, very broad-brushed, and really didn't gain a lot of legs in Congress. But what we're seeing them do is really break off pieces of it and present it a little at a time. Uh, yeah. The, you know, uh, HR-8 has been around. Um, the uh, HR-1446, the background check, expanded background checks, things of that nature. Now they um, uh, I came across this the other day, HR-1207, uh, that was presented by Bonnie Watts out of New Jersey. Um, basically, you got to present ID for um, to buy ammo, to possess ammo. I know some states already have that in place, like Connecticut. Uh but they're expanding. They're, you know, they're looking to make it federal law, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a little troubling. And this is, this is why we, uh, as the industry, are, are very careful to make sure we're constantly monitoring uh, the legislation that's being put in. And, and, and like you said, you might see the big bills like H.R. 127, uh, which is kind of a kitchen sink bill. And it's written, let's be honest, by an unserious legislator uh, and to achieve unserious goals. Uh, Woman uh, Shield Jackson Lee is, is the one who introduced the bill. It, it is nearly everything you could think of as when it comes to gun control thrown into there. Um, 
And but it's important to look at is how many co-sponsors that has and if it's moving in the committee. And it's not. And in the last Congress, we saw that there were a lot of people who were very concerned with with Congressman Hank Johnson's bill. I believe it was 5127. Uh, I could be mistaken on the number, but Congressman Hank Johnson had a very similar uh, kitchen sink bill that people were getting very concerned about, but it wasn't going anywhere. Some of these bills are are messaging bills. They're they're bills that uh, they'll introduce that they'll get their base riled up. They'll fundraise off of these bills, and and they'll they'll make a lot of noise, but they won't actually go anywhere. Um, so, yeah, I think it's important that your listeners understand that, and 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 that they they you know keep an eye on those things, but don't get so worked up that that some of those bills are going to move. But again, some of those smaller ones, and we talk about HR eight, the background check bill, and we do universal background check bill, HR fourteen forty six. Uh, the, the, the so-called Charleston loophole bill, uh, those bills were introduced in the last Congress were passed, went over to the Senate. They were introduced again in this Congress, passed, went over to the Senate. And, and Senator Schumer has said that he would bring them up. Now, interestingly, last week, I was actually able to spend some time with Senator Graham in South Carolina. Uh, and Senator Graham uh, held a news conference and he said that, you know, he dared Senator Schumer, as now the majority leader in the Senate, mm-hmm. to go bring some of these gun control bills to the floor. Because he, he looked at the camera and he said, I don't believe you have 60 votes. I don't believe you have 50 votes. And it's interesting that, you know, the Senate hasn't taken up these bills yet. Uh, obviously, they're in recess as you and I are speaking right now, but there's no scheduled time that they're going to talk about these bills anytime in the near future, which tells me that they don't believe that they have the legislative uh, you know, support to push it. So, but again, we want to make sure that we're very careful because bills like HR 1207, something like an ammunition background check bill, which may seem kind of benign to someone, oh, it's not going to go anywhere. This is really small. It's not a big deal. These things can be offered as amendments to to much larger bills uh, and they can be tucked away. So we want to make sure we keep an eye on this. But again, you're right. So we're talking about something like that. We're talking about changing the way that you can buy ammunition now. And they would treat it the same way as you buying a firearm. And you would have to go through an FBI background check. Now, I'll tell you right now, Chris, the Nick's background checks, as you and I both know, that, that Nick's background checks have been off the off the charts. 21 million background checks last year, 2020, for the sale of a gun. So far this year, we're over 5.4 million just in the first quarter. And we had 2 million background checks alone in March. And, of course, now we're into the beginning of April. And the calls by the president for more gun control, I don't think are going to slow down the gun sales. So if you want to start adding in all the background checks that's going to be required for ammunition, every time you go to the range, every time you shoot sporting clays, every time you want to go hunting, now you're going to start to really swamp that system. Nix barely has the assets that they need to keep up with it right now. The FBI struggles, and now you want to throw this on top. They're not talking about boosting the FBI's capability to keep up with it. They just want the system to crash. So that way they can say, well, then nobody can have their, nobody can have their ammunition. So let's be honest about what we're really looking at. This, you know, there's uh, always a method to their, you know, to their madness. But uh, you know, this this bill would also create another registry. Yeah, that's uh, yep. you know they're trying to create a national registry for firearms. Now there'd be you know here's a bill to create a national registry for uh, ammunition. If you have ammo, you got a gun. Yeah, yeah. So you're right. And those are things I think we need to be under. We need to be careful about. So under the 1986 Firearm Owner Protection Act, the federal government is barred from keeping a list of gun owners in America. You can't maintain a national firearm registry. You so you the government has no business knowing what I own as far as a gun and 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 where it's stored. 
under HR 8, the background, universal background check bill, it authorizes the government to actually do that. Under bills like 1207, it would authorize the government to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So that they can know that, you know, what guns is where from cradle to grave the whole time. Now, the scary part about this isn't that there's so much a registry, which is scary enough in and of itself. But what we're actually talking about, Chris, is a government watch list. So the government was going to put you and I on a list to be monitored just because we exercised a fundamental civil liberty. So let's make sure we're clear on this. The government doesn't put you on a watch list because you choose to go to the church of your choosing or the mosque or the synagogue of your choosing. They don't put you on a watch list because you seek redress against the government under your First Amendment rights. They don't seek to put you on a watch list because you choose to get your news from CNN or Fox News. But yet the government's talking about putting you on a watch list because you exercise your Second Amendment right, your God-given right at birth as an American. That's scary. Well, let, let's look at it this way. This um, shooting, the most recent one that was in Colorado, um, that person was on a FBI watch list. So how did he obtain a firearm if he was already on the watch list? You can't get on a plane if you're on an FBI watch list and he can buy a gun. Yeah, so there's a mixture we're clear. There's- there's been talk about some of these uh, other instances about, you know, maybe we should make it more difficult for people to, to be able to buy a firearm if they're on a, on a government watch list. And that's, they've called that no fly, no buy. Now, we've all seen that there's been a lot of problems with that list and, and that people have been on there erroneously. And it takes uh, a whole lot of work to get your name off of those lists. Senator Ed Kennedy from Massachusetts was on that list. He couldn't get himself off for, for months. So we know that it's not it's not accurate, and we want to make sure that lists like that anyway. used. Yeah, yeah, we want to make sure that lists like that aren't used to deny you your rights. So we're not in support of any kind of list like that. Now yep. we don't know why this murder in, in Boulder, Colorado, was was being monitored by the FBI. The FBI said that yes, they had had him on the radar, but they never said exactly why. They said it was because he was uh, associated with somebody else that they were there were you know, investigating, but we don't know what that investigation was for. And we need that to come out. We need to hear that. But we also know that the FBI has admitted in the past that they failed. We looked at Marjorie Stone Douglas High School down in Parkland, Florida. Twice, twice the FBI was warned that this kid said that he wanted to go in and shoot up a school. And they did nothing with it. They they admitted their, their failure. But on top of that, state, county, and local school officials failed in over 40 different occasions when they were warned that this man was a, was a danger to himself and a danger to others, they literally, the police showed up at his house after he put a gun to his own mother's head and threatened to shoot her. That's a felony. They didn't do anything with it. That right there, one in and of itself, should have made him, if they had arrested him and convicted him for that crime, as they should have, would have made him a prohibited individual and he would have never been able to possess a firearm again. Unless, of course, the Democrats are going to finally agree and say, Yes, criminals don't follow the law, which, again, we get back to the point of you're going to layer on gun laws. Criminals aren't going to you know, listen to those laws. You're only going to be disarming and, and making law-abiding citizens vulnerable to those people who are going to prey on innocent lives. Well, on that note, I think uh, we're going to take a, a quick break uh, to acknowledge some of our sponsors. Uh, Underwood Ammo, uh, always a standard of excellence. Um, Fantastic ammo. Check them out, underwoodammo.com. 
Um, PhoneScope, uh, always innovative with outdoor products. Uh, the Pyro Putty, their um, PhoneScope products. Take a look at them, PhoneScope.com. And of course, um, A Hunt of a Lifetime. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference. And we're back. Um, okay, yeah, with that in mind, um, those background check bills, uh, 1446, H.R. 8, they would not have prohibited any of these incidents that have happened. Uh, so whatever these bills are, or, or in these bills, it's not going to help somebody um, who has intent to do harm. Uh, or, you know, criminals will always get guns either way. Yeah, Chris, you're right. So I think it's important to remember the Department of Justice has studied this uh, time and again. Um, you know, they've asked you know, federal prisoners, they've gone from the prisons, they've asked them, those who've been convicted of using a, a gun in the commission of their crime, where they got their gun. And over 91% of those uh, inmates have admitted that they got their gun through illicit means, either through the black market, they, they bought it on a street corner, uh, they traded from one gang member to the other. Well, they stole it. it, it this isn't a matter of, of you know, uh, bad apples who are, who are, you know, the FFLs who are handing out these fire, you know, firearms willy-nilly. That's just not the case. I've yet to meet, um, you know, a firearm retailer who's willing to risk his license uh, just to make a quick buck. It, uh, and most of them are going to be, you know, in it for the long haul. And they also live and work in these same communities and they want to make sure that they're going to be a productive member of that community as well. I'm not saying that there aren't the people out there who need to be held accountable. We, we know that there's always going to be a small percentage of people who aren't following the law. And, and as, as part of the industry, we want to make sure that those people are driven out. But uh, that's, that's certainly not representative of what's happening. But we also know that, you know, like you said, we start looking at these cases and we start looking at what laws were available. So we know that the 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 murderer in, in Boulder, Colorado, passed the background check. So the background check wasn't stopping him. It, it, was, it wasn't helping. We also know that they had a red flag law in, Cal in Colorado that they could have used and didn't. The family actually took that firearm away from that murderer mm -hmm. prior to him committing his crimes because they said he was acting erratically with it. And they didn't trust him with it. Now, somehow he got it back, and we need to find out how he got that back. Uh, but we, when we look at this, and we see that there were issues. Uh, so we look at the Sutherland Springs murders down in Texas. Five different times that murderer was able to buy a firearm and you pass the background check because the Air Force never submitted the disqualifying mental health and criminal records on that individual. So if we look back, he was dishonorably discharged from the Air Force. So that should have disqualified him from ever getting a gun. Sure. He was 
was involuntarily mentally, uh, involuntarily committed to a mental health facility. That should have disqualified him from ever getting his hands on a gun. And he was also convicted of a domestic violence uh, attack on his wife. That should have made sure he'd never got his hand on it. So three different instances, at least. And he was able to pass a background check because the Air Force never submitted those records to the FBI. Yeah. And that's why we wrote the Fix Nicks Act uh, with Senator Cornyn and Senator Murphy. We had 78 senators on that bill. I mean, pro-gun, pro-gun control. Uh, they were all on this because this is common ground we can agree. We've got to make the background check system work as intended. But we know that we know that there's holes in it. We're trying to make sure that everyone's doing their part. But like you said, we look back at Parkland, Florida, he passed a background check. We, we even look at the tragedy in Newtown, Connecticut. Obviously, that's where our headquarters is at. So this hits home with us as well. Yep. But, you know, it, it, we look at that, and the first crime that that murderer committed was stealing his own mother's rifle. The second crime he committed was killing his mother in her bed while she slept with her rifle. So this wasn't a matter of failure of background checks. This was a matter of failure of... Uh, of, a cr of a criminal mind and someone who is who's obviously mentally unbalanced if you're going to go out and commit that kind of crime and, and murder innocent lives yeah we're, we're talking about something's wrong with you that just never occurs to people like you and i and chris I, I, i'm a former marine i served 25 years in the marine corps i've been to combat i've seen what firearms can do i've seen what you know the, the destructive capability of a firearm uh, and I've, I've seen plenty of death around me when used, you know, in, in a lawful manner, uh, even to defend our nation. But it has never occurred to me in any time I carry a firearm, whether it be for personal protection, uh, out hunting, recreational shooting, or during my time in service, that I would ever use a firearm for an illegal purpose. So, I mean, we are talking about something that is just something not right about these people who are using it. And yeah, if, there, if there's something not right about those people, we want to make sure that the laws that are in place are used. But we don't want to see is an abuse of those laws to deny you and I the ability to protect ourselves. When we start to layer on all these laws, the background checks bills is going to, the delay bills, or we're going to have a national delay, or we're going to put, you know, expanded background checks where now you may have to prove your innocence to the government to be able to possess a firearm. Things are starting to turn themselves in their head. And now we're, we're you know, we're not allowing people the, the ability to protect themselves in a time of crisis. Well, you're not uh, innocent until proven guilty. You're guilty until proven innocent at this point. And now you're seeing guns literally flying off the shelves. Um, you know, we had, uh, what, 5 million first-time gun owners? Yeah, know. actually, yeah. So we did a retail survey last year. So we saw that gun sales were going to be uh, elevated through the year. Uh, so we went out to our retailers because, of course, there's no national registry. So we have to have to ask our retailers, well, what are you seeing? And they were telling us that 40% of the people who were coming into their stores last year were buying a gun for the first time. And so there are 21 million background checks total. So that tells us over 8.4 million people throughout the entire year bought a gun for the very first time. So, Chris, let's think about this. These are people who, before, up until 2019... You know, gun ownership was, it was a, a cocktail party discussion. It wasn't, they had no skin in the game. They could ask the questions rhetorically, they could debate it, but there was no, you know, give or take, there was no loss, there was no gain for them. Uh, they just, they talked about gun owners as others, you know, the, the other people own guns. So we can talk about this. But in 2020, something changed. 2020, they made the decision that they needed to become a gun owner. So that question went from a rhetorical question to an existential question. And literally, they're buying a firearm to preserve their existence. They were buying guns to be able to protect themselves and their loved ones. So 8.4 million people 
went out and exercised their right to own, to keep and bear a gun, to keep and bear a firearm for the very first time. That's a tectonic shift in the argument. And not only that, it wasn't just people like Chris, like you and I. I'm a 47-year-old white guy living in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., and I've been around guns since my teen years, learning to shoot and hunt with my dad. Uh, but what we're finding now is that today's gun owners looking a whole lot less like you and I and more like the rest of America. There was a 58% increase of African-Americans buying guns last year. Just going to say that. <laughs> yeah. A 49% increase of Hispanic Americans buying guns over 2019 and a 43% increase of Asian American buying guns. I mean, overwhelmingly huge increase of women buying guns. So, and it's also becoming a much younger thing. So the whole idea of today's gun owner being old, male, and pale just doesn't fit. It's becoming a whole lot more like the rest of America, which I think is going to make this whole gun control discussion a little bit harder for some of those gun control advocates to kind of push down on the American public. Well, we're partners with um, National African American Gun Association. Yeah. A couple of years ago, they didn't exist. And, you know, um, the owner, Phil uh, Smith, mm -hmm. was saying, you know, he was never picked up a gun until his friend introduced him to it. And... Um, he said, you know, I think I'm going to start this organization. And everyone was like, that, nobody's going to join. Literally overnight. Yeah. An organization. He has over 60,000 members today in yeah. a couple short years. Yeah. And, and I've seen reports uh, where, where Phil's talked about it, where, you know, he might get, you know, uh, you know, tens of people signing up over a matter of a month, uh, you know, prior to 2020. Now he's getting hundreds in a week. Uh, so it's, I mean, people are realizing that, uh, you know, their rights are their rights at birth. Every American, uh, white, black, Hispanic, male, female, doesn't matter race. It is your right as an American citizen at your birth to keep and bear arms. And I think that they're, they're realizing, literally realizing that right and owning that right and possessing that right and, and practicing that right daily. And it, it's very encouraging to see that we have a responsible gun culture that is continuing to grow and to thrive uh, and, and to put his best foot forward, even despite all the gun control push that's coming down from those who just despise who we are as gun owners. Well, with 400 million guns out there, if we were the problem, they'd know about it. Yep. <laughs> and they'd know about it in a hurry. But we're yep. not the problem. No, and you're right. Overwhelmingly, your, law, your gun owner is a law-abiding citizen. It's, and we've actually seen some of the reports uh, that, you know, of uh, concealed, carry holders. concealed carry permit holders are overwhelmingly law-abiding, even more so than law enforcement. And I'm very proud of our law enforcement in America, of how, how law-abiding they are. Again, we understand that there's going to be ones and twos here and there that are going to be problems. And we want to, we want to make sure that those people are held accountable. But as a, as a gun-owning community, we are law-abiding and, and we are productive citizens and we're productive members of our society. And, you know, the denigration of who we are uh, and, and our society uh, is just wrong. And, and it, it takes more and more people standing up. So it's very encouraging to see folks like the National African-American Gun Association and to see, you know, uh, see other organizations standing up and starting to say, hey, wait a second, we're not going to stand up for this anymore. You don't get to dictate my rights to me. It is my right. You don't get to tell me what I need. It's my right. I don't have to justify my rights. You don't have to tell me what I need. So it's, it's great to see this. I'm very proud of our community. Everybody carries themselves in a, you know, in a, in the right way. You know, it's not just about, you know, 
owning a gun. It's about defending your rights and standing up to the opposition that says you can't. No, we can't. That's, that's what our forefathers put out there. That's what they wanted for us, to be able to protect ourselves, not just from uh, somebody trying to break into your home or being able to go hunt. It's to protect ourselves from a tyrannical government. That's why every firearm is our God-given right. Because back in 1776, they tried to take the, you know, the superior weaponry away from us. What happened? The rest is history. Yep. Yep. Very proud. I'm from the I'm from the New England area, and of course, we grew up uh, uh, learning our Revolutionary War history and, and learning exactly what happened in Lexington and Concord. And, and I don't think it's lost on the gun owning community how important that right is. And when you do have a tyrannical government that wants to step in and seize that right from you, they take your ability to to defend yourself against an, uh, an overbearing government. Then you have no recourse of action. You have no way of defending yourself. So I mean, you got to give it to the founding fathers for recognizing how important this right is to us. No, I couldn't agree more. And I guess we're going to have to find out in the coming days um, if any of this executive action uh, gains legs. And, um, you know, thank God for the filibuster. You know, if, uh, yeah. you know, they're trying to change the filibuster, uh, but that's a double edged sword. There's going to come a time when we're back, you know, the, the right is back in power. And they're going to want to filibuster. It's going to work against them if they take it away. Yeah, and I think that's what some of the some of the more level-headed uh, senators are trying to talk about. Senator Cinema uh, and Senator Manchin uh, have both actually this just this past week have come out and and again reiterated their support for defending the filibuster. So that they're not going to bend to the pressure from uh, from the more liberal members of their party to get rid of it because they understand that uh, you know the whole idea of the Senate was to find. Uh, consensus. It was to find that middle ground. You know, it, it, as Thomas Jefferson wrote about it, was you know the the Senate is the cooling saucer for the hot tea that comes out of the out of the U.S. House of Representatives. And you can pass a bill with a one one vote majority in the House of Representatives. That's all it takes. Yep. Now, authority rules. And, and in the Senate, the whole idea is to be able to cool down some of these ideas, so we don't have a lot of whipsaw effect. Uh, going back and forth in our laws and, and, and to be able to really sit down and debate. And the Senate takes a lot of pride in telling everyone the most deliberative body uh, of government in the world. Well, they need to they need to own that and they need to live up to that responsibility that they, they put upon themselves by maintaining that filibuster. And again, the filibuster should be used sparingly. But again, the whole idea of having the threat of that filibuster should cause the senators to seek consensus. And Senator Sinema said it this week. Again, we're talking about a Democratic senator out of out of Arizona, who said, you know, it's not the rules that are the problem; it's the senators that are the problem. Maybe instead of changing the rules, they need to change their behavior. So I think that was very interesting and very astute observation from Senator Cinema. Every once in a while, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, is there anything that um, we didn't cover today that you want to cover? Yeah, Chris, you know something? I always try and make sure we reiterate. Again, we talked about 8.4 million new gun owners. You know, my hope is that all these new gun owners uh, don't just put that gun in the back of the closet and forget it's there. You know, get out and shoot. Learn how to use that gun. But first and foremost, as much as you have a right to own a firearm, you also have a responsibility to make sure you store it safely. So we try to remind every gun owner that uh, you should make sure that if your firearm is not in use, not includes if you're going to carry it or you're going to make sure you have it available to you in the house, 
Uh, but if it's not in use, make sure you have it locked up. Make sure that those people who shouldn't have their hands on it can't get to it. That includes little kids. I mean, think about my own situations where my kids grew up over time and my storage needs changed over time from when I was a single guy to, to when I was married and had kids. And, and as those children got older and then as my children became adults and I wanted to make sure that they could have access. So, so they knew the combinations to the codes uh, to get into the gun safe if they need to as they got older. But now that I've, I'm a little bit older and I've got a grandson running around the house and he's starting to crawl and climb and I want to make sure that he can't get into the gun. So I've got to make sure I go back and reassess my storage needs. So I'd encourage every gun owner to do, especially some of those new gun owners who maybe this might be new and you're just trying to think, well, what do I need? The first step is always, of course, that cable lock that comes with the gun. That's the most basic level of security. If you if you attach that incorrectly, it, it's inside the firearm, it's going to make sure that that firearm can't be operated. And we're going to make sure that everyone's going to be safe. So practice safe storage. Uh, but most of all, get out to the range. Learn how to shoot. I know ammo is tough to come by, but uh, do your best to be able to try and get some time on the range. Make sure you learn how to load and unload that firearm safely, engage the safeties. But here's the best part. Take somebody with you. I mean, Chris, you and I probably both know. I've never taken anybody to the gun range who didn't walk away with a big smile on their face. Sure. So or share your passion with everybody else. And, and, and if you're a gun owner who's been doing this for years and, and you love to go shoot, you love to go hunt, and maybe because you, you love the, the solitude of being able to hunt, well, uh, remind yourself, it took somebody introducing you to the shooting sports as well. So do that for somebody else. Introduce something that you have a passion for and see if you can grow that passion to somebody else. And if we can all grow one person to replace us in the future, I think our culture as, as a gun owning society, a responsible gun owning society is going to be in good hands. Couldn't agree more. Where uh, where can we find out more about the NSSF? Sure, you can go to NSSF.org. You can find out what we got going on there. If you click on the media tab, you can see some of the things we're talking about as far as legislative issues on Capitol Hill. Uh, but I'd also encourage that those who are looking for a place to shoot or looking for a place to hunt, you can go to our uh, wheretoshoot.org or wheretohunt.org websites as well. And you could find uh, information on those. So we encourage everybody to get out and, and uh, enjoy the shooting sports a little bit more every day. Great. I appreciate your time, Mark. Thanks for uh, sharing your experience with us. And um, hope to see you again uh, at SHOT Show. Yes, sir. We're looking forward to next January. I hope we get everyone back out on the floor. I already have my hotel reservation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks again. All right. Take care, Chris. Talk to you soon.